Today we're talking with playwright and actor Deb Height, and I just want to issue a warning to any parents who have children who might be listening. This will either be the dirtiest or the silliest podcast we've ever recorded. Is that right, Deb? Ah, that's exactly right, Austin. You nailed it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast number 693, Phone Porn Voices. It's now Monday, March 23rd. We have been, all of us, the world has been sequestered for at least a week and hopefully more. So we are all engaging in what they're referring to in the hashtag as being alone together. Hashtag alone together. And there's been a meme going around amongst the artists I follow on Twitter of five jobs you had. And lots of us have participated in this. And my friend, playwright and actor Deb Height, listed her five jobs, and I can't even remember what the first four were, because the fifth was phone (laughs) porn voice. And I tweeted immediately, I know this is horrible and inappropriate, but can I call you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, uh, this is such a, I've heard this from other actors who have done this kind of work in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, What, I mean, I think, it, and it's so much better than waiting tables. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in true. a certain way, you could work alone, make your own hours. How did you yes. come about doing this job? Um, well, I had a friend who was um, uh, recording for a company that, um, shall we say, sponsored calls of this nature. And they were always looking for new voices, different voices. And there were two departments and one was the live calls and one was the recordings. So the live calls were fielding calls from callers and having uh, conversations of a very intimate nature uh, on the phone live. And the department I was in was recording scripts that were written um, and I found it very interesting, not only because of the acting involved um, or because of the variety of accents that I got to develop and use um, in the different scripts, but also because I started writing the scripts. Um, And of course, this was a pay by the minute sort of service. Um, And so you had to really... um, you got bonus money for making a uh, caller hang on just one more minute, one more minute. Um, so the scripts, I I started getting a little creative with um, the storylines and making it so that people would be intrigued enough to keep listening as long as possible. Um, and at some point... Um, Honestly, I can't remember if I was asked to leave or if I decided to leave, um, but I then I got more involved in the story as opposed to the sex. And so um, it, it I realized I was more uh, interested in creating stories 
than actually just, um, you know, how should I put this? Um, bringing the caller to a, a, a delightful conclusion in, in an appropriate number of minutes. How did I do? Was that fine? Was that, that was appropriate? Perfect. So I had a, I had an arsenal of accents. And so they, they liked that a lot because obviously no one wants to hear the same voice every single time you call, I guess. I don't know. I was not privy. I was not privy to, uh, the management decisions. Um, it wasn't, a, I didn't, I, I stayed lateral. I didn't, I didn't need to move up, uh, the chain. Um, but really wonderful people, and, you know, um, it was fun and it was, uh, interesting. Um, and, um, it actually was instructive in learning about, uh, vocal inflection and I put lots of acting skills to work. So, well, and, and, and writing skills, I mean, delaying gratification in your case is a spectacular flex. <laughs> um, so you weren't. Were you you were directly interacting with people, but based on a script that you had written? Is that right? No, it was not directly interacting with people. It was it was recording them. It was like a monologue, basically, but um, with a very specific directive. And so it was a recording. So people would call who did not want to speak to a live person, uh -huh. but they just wanted to listen. Uh -huh. And I don't know if they were talking or not, but it was all recordings. And so then it was also, they could use the recording forever. I mean, they, it didn't require someone sitting in the chair. It was something they could, you know, use and even edit and cut up however they wanted. So can you give us a display of some of the accents and characters you developed? Oh, um, now I will, I will say that it's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> this was, um, this was, I was, uh, let go. I won't say fired because they were so nice about it, but I was a waiter for a while at a French restaurant in Brooklyn when I lived in, uh, Carroll Gardens. And, um, I was a terrible waiter because I had trouble, you know, there's, People, when they have a basket of bread and then there's soft, delicious French butter and they take their knife and they spread the butter over the bread and then they put their knife on the edge of their plate. So when I would go to clear the plates, my thumb invariably landed on the little smoosh of butter on the corner of their plate and I, I would, it just had this involuntary kind of gag thing happened and I couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. Now you'd think I would get better at not putting my thumb anywhere near anything that looked like it had any sort of food on it, but no, it kept happening. And, um, so they said, uh, excuse me, Deborah, this is uh, very difficult for us because we like you very much and uh, you are fun to be around and uh, you are nice to the customers. But unfortunately, we are um, we are not able to keep you here because the gagging is uh, upsetting people and, uh, and so uh, we are going to have to let you go. But before you go, we have steak free for you and you can sit with us and we will drink. And we... So they were lovely, lovely people. But uh, For a sexy fun. but clumsy French waitress, press one. <laughs> Gagging optional. Um, I, uh, I, it was not long after that that my uh, dear friend of mine said, hey, 
um, this is kind of weird, but I'm doing this editing thing. Do you want to come in and maybe read and, um, you know, pays cash, pays cash. Um, so I said, yeah. Um, so I had a French girl, I think at some point I was also the German. I was very strict and I did not accept any guff. I was not uh, amenable to any altering of the script. Mm, who else did I do? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, in, I was a, a, Mid a Midwestern um, mom. And um, that that actually was really popular. Um, um, sort of like a little bit of uh, Minnesota. And oh, sure. Yeah, that's going to be fine if you want to do that. That's up to you. And I'm not going to object if you wanted to touch that well that's fine sure okay you can do that now that see that's interesting i like that that's i appreciate that when you touch me that way well that's well that's real that's so sweet of you that's so sweet of you. that so that sort of super sweet mom midwestern mom was a you big know, i hit. take it back that's my new ringtone <laughs> Um, there was also the kid from California who was really willing to do almost anything. Um, sure, I guess so. I mean, I've never done that before, but <laughs> okay, if you really want to. Just don't tell anybody, okay? Like that. Um, I mean, you know, of course, I did spend some time in the South. And that was also really, really, really popular. Because um, there's something about just taking your time. And, you know, you're not in a rush. Because good things don't come around all that often. So sometimes you just got to make it last and last. I think uh, the answer to the question, this is both the dirtiest and the silliest podcast you've ever done. <laughs> you can count on me. Hello, folks. This is Mike McShane, and you're listening deeply and completely to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Yes. Where can you RSC the RSC? <laughs> that continues to be an excellent question. Our live performances of Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, and the complete history of comedy abridged, originally scheduled for March and April of 2020, have been postponed until we can reschedule them. So far, our performances in May and June of 2020 have not been affected, but do check out our Twitter feed and RSC Facebook page for the latest information. It looks like our rest in Virginia performances will be moved to July 12th, 2020, and our Washington, Pennsylvania, and Batavia, Illinois performances will be pushed to the spring of 2021. We'll also continue to update our touring page at ReducedShakespeare.com whenever we have new information. Right now, you can see our epic abridgments of Wagner's Ring Cycle, the first five seasons of the landmark TV show Lost, and our appearance on two Jeopardy! tournaments of champions right now by going to the homepage of our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, and scrolling down to the news section. We've created a special page there for many of our videos. You can also see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin, and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent 
independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. You can certainly hear us via this podcast and our other recordings available at Apple Music. If you're working from home or binge listening, now would be an excellent time to leave us that five-star review you've been planning to leave but haven't gotten around to. And also help us spread the word via all your usual uh, social media, online, socially isolated channels. All we have is each other these days. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. We just sent one out today. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with playwright, actor, and musician Deb Height. Do you think that this directly or indirectly led to your career, burgeoning uh, career as a playwright? I think I have have always been telling stories. Um, I mean, for a while there, and this is around the time that you and I met a million years ago, um, I was taking acting classes and I would bring in my own monologues because at the time that was, you needed three or four different monologues to audition for anybody. And I was a character actor from the time I was born and I just couldn't find a lot that for a 20 year old character actress. So I would write my own stuff and, um, I would bring it into class and I had other actor friends who said, Hey, can you write me, uh, uh, a monologue? And so I charged them, I don't know what it was like $30 or something, um, to sit down with them and talk about the kind of character they'd want to play if they could play anything. And then I would go off and write them a one or two minute monologue. Um, I was also writing poetry and I think I subjected you to listening to some of my really terrible poetry. I have a vague memory of that. There was alcohol. So it's a, you know, it's a wash. There there was, yes. And it was again, a long time ago. Um, and that was when I was living at the haunted house, uh, in the apartment. But so, you know, it's always been, and I've always written, um, songs and, and one woman show kind of, things. So it's always, and short stories. And when I, when I graduated from NYU, um, I had been writing a lot of short fiction, um, and really loved that. Um, but you know, I was, theater is my first love. And so I think it's always been coming around to writing for the theater. Even though when I first moved out here, I started writing screenplays and learning how to write for TV and trying to figure that out. Um, which is definitely its own thing. Um, but it's, it's all just telling a good story and figuring out how to make people want to listen to one more minute and one more minute. Um, that is and, true. No flipping. As yeah. Larry Sanders used to say. Um, yeah. Well, and speaking of your career as an actor, you are having a moment, it seems to me, because we see you a lot recently. You've been in the documentary now series, that great, a series of mockumentaries on the independent film channel. It's also on Netflix. I will say briefly, just to plug it, all three seasons, uh, and I am in all three seasons, and you get an extra prize if you can spot me in season two, but um, they're all on Netflix now. Awesome. Um, And especially, I will highlight, they're all amazing. They all, uh, you don't have to have seen the original documentary it's based on, um, but it, they're all amazing. The, the writing and the directing is, is so, um, 
it's a it's always a, an homage. It's not spoofing a documentary. It's really an homage to the documentary. Um, and in particular, in season three, look for it's a two episode. It's called um, Batshit Valley. Can I say that? Parts one and two, and um, it spoofs the Wild Wild Country documentary, which is also amazing. So I. I urge anyone who's feeling like binging something to check out uh, the Documentary Now series, which is all available on Netflix. And they're writing the new season probably right this minute. And um, as soon as they can, they're going to start making season four. So I'm, I'm excited about that. It is a really great series, and I echo your recommendation. Um, but we've seen you uh, in Booksmart as the parents of what, what, the mother of one of the characters. Of George, yes, George's mom. Very yes. funny. And didn't I see you as a lawyer up against the one and only Meryl Streep in something? You saw me um, questioning Charlize Theron in Bombshell. That's what it was. Yes. And um, so I had a, a really nice little scene with her in that movie. And she was amazing, by the way. Really a generous, lovely, lovely person. Oh, good. The other thing you didn't list on your five jobs is lead singer of the band Orson Welk. Um, yes, it's true. That was well, co-lead have... singer, I would say, with um, the founder of the band, my ex-husband, Carmen Borgia, who is an amazing musician and a wonderful guy. And an amazing band. I mean, I, this, we, I, I have, is it your only album, the one I'm holding? It is, and it's actual vinyl. It, it is, is real vinyl, vinyl. And, and gentlemen. What would you call the genre of music that you guys did? We, um, <clears throat> I'll tell you a funny story. We, when You remember Tower Records um, down near 4th Street? Okay, so we got the album pressed. We were so excited, and because this was back in the day. Um, and we went to Tower Records, and we said, we have an album. Will you sell it for us? And um, right in front of us, uh, the guy zips it open with his thumb, takes it out, drops it on the turntable, drops a needle on the first track, listens for about 14 seconds, picks it up, drops it on another track, listens for about eight seconds, lifts it and says, I don't have a slot for you. And we said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, you know, I don't, I don't have a, like a, a slot, a divider. You know, I don't know where, I don't know where it goes. This was my my first light bulb moment about marketing because we didn't have the exact category of where it should go. We hadn't made all those suggestions for everyone so that it would be easy for them to drop it in a slot because we had one reviewer uh, about two months later say uh, who loved us it was a great review and he said we were cabaret pop noir. And I thought, yeah, that kind of sums it up. And yeah, they don't have a divider for that. There's no slot for that at Tower Records. And so that was the joy of, of being Orson Welk. And it was also part of the challenge because people didn't really know where to put it. Um, it wasn't the kind of band that you could just have at a bar where people were being noisy and talking and wanting to talk on their own. We played mostly performance art spaces, um, which were wonderful, um, but sort of their own world. And um, it was music that you want to listen to and listen to the words, but it really was a band. It wasn't, 
um, an artistic installation or it wasn't a theater piece. It was really a band. Um, but we had so much fun and I, I love the songs and I also love the listening to some of the songs now, which I don't do enough, but, um, the time when we were recording them, it was so much about electronic drums and you could have all these instruments. You could have all this, all, it was so new and so sophisticated for the time. And, um, it's so, uh, it had this boxiness that I just love. It's very much of that era of that time period. Um, and we also did some things that were quote unplugged before things were <laughs> put before you put quotes around that word before there was um, a slot for that <laughs> yeah but i it was always just wonderfully fun and um and, and yet funny. and yet here you are playwright actor performer and author of lovely erotica deb height and where the hell is tower records now exactly exactly mike dropped That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. We've, you'll pardon the expression, barely touched the surface of Deb's talents, but you can find links to her plays, her quarantunes, and her fantastic reel of clips from dozens of films and TV shows, including The Good Place, Veep, Booksmart, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Just go to Deb Height, that's D-E-B-H-I-E-T-T, com for more information. Then send us your erotic voices via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Deb on Twitter and Instagram at Deb Height. Thanks as always to instantly gratified Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Aaron Schellenberger. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to one of our favorite actors and improvisers, Mike McShane. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe and stay home. I'm Austin Titchener, 693 2079ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. And I'm still playing the accordion. You know, even in these dark times, I've just released uh, a quarantine. I've um, I decided to sit on my steps and not wear any makeup I, and not shower. Because, you know, these are the times we're living in. People have to make sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices might be you listening to me, not showering. And we're back to porn. Yeah, I realize. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. <laughs> Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.